0: Hi, welcome to the New Story Church Podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. Uh, the series is titled Holy Help, and we've been discovering how can we receive help from the one who is holy, and while he is holy, he has still stepped into our space to offer us help, to, to be there for us, to care for us, and to, to lead us into the life that he has for us. And so in week one of this series, we talked about how Jesus in his journey to the cross experienced stress and betrayal and rejection. So as Hebrew says, he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses as we face stress, betrayal, and and rejection, He is there with us in those moments and he's walking through with us in those times as well. And then last week in week two, it was Easter Sunday, which was a lot of fun. And yeah, amen. We talked about the resurrection and how we can see a new exodus and a new life and new possibilities in Christ. So no matter what we're facing, we know that life is inevitable. We know that he conquered the grave and he holds the He holds the keys to death and life in his hands and he is above all things. And so we celebrated that last week in his we wrap up this series this week, we are going to be in John chapter 10. And I believe that there's some very powerful stuff that we're going to see in the life of Jesus today that can help each and every one of us as we find ourselves in moments of wondering what could happen next? Where am I going? What is God doing in all of this? And so I'm really excited to jump into this with us today. Um, And actually what what inspired this message was John chapter 10, but, but also the lyrics of the song that we were just singing. We've been I'm singing that song, the living God here for a couple of months now. And the line that we kept singing over and over again, that I know that death was never going to hold you. So it's never going to hold me because you're the only thing holding on to me. Think about that for just a moment. That death was never going to hold Jesus. So it doesn't have to hold you. And it doesn't have to hold me because he is the only one who is holding on to us. He is the only one who is holding on to you. But sometimes as we, as we go through life and we're considering what is it that is holding on to us, it doesn't always feel like he's the one who is holding on to us. Somebody know what I'm feeling like right now? Sometimes it feels as if I don't know what's holding on to me, but I don't know if it feels like hope and life and love. It feels like there's something different holding on to me right now. It feels like there's something complicated holding on to me right now. It feels as if there's a weight that's holding on to me right now and almost holding me back. Have some of you been there before? You're trying to figure out what is holding on to me. In fact, the title of the message today is what is holding on to you? Think about this. What is holding on to you? Because whatever is holding on to you is forming you. Whatever is holding on to you is shaping you. Whatever is holding on to me is shaping me. It's designing me. so, so, So what is holding on to you? Is it anger, bitterness, frustration, confusion? Could it be something even more serious like hate? What is holding on to you? Or maybe you've been walking and living in this life of resurrection and and new reality and, and hope and life and love have been holding on to you. And that has been shaping you. Because whatever is holding on to us is shaping us and forming us. And as we're singing this today, there's this beautiful truth that death and destruction do not have to hold us because Jesus is truly the only one holding on to us, even in the moments when it doesn't feel that way. And so today, as we walk through John chapter 10, I want us to consider two different holds. I'm sure we could get more specific with these and we could break them down. And we're going to do that a little bit, but today we're going to talk about the hold of destruction and the hold of life, the hold of destruction and the hold of life. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full. So there's a hold of destruction And there's a hold of life. And as we journey on in John chapter 10, and we get to verse 22, I'm going to read that to you in just a moment. But we see the religious leaders confronting Jesus. They were always confronting Jesus. They always had some type of issue with what Jesus was doing. And really, it comes down to the fact that the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they held on to power. They were holding on to authority. And the fact that Jesus was coming along with a different type of authority, one that they didn't expect or respect at all, they started pushing against him. They started challenging him. They had some real issues with the way Jesus was doing things. They were expecting a Messiah, but they were expecting a Messiah who was going to fit in with their agenda, with their structure, and with what they had intended and what they had in mind. And so they held on to power. And as Jesus is moving and creating this movement and he's on the mission that God had sent him on, they're then trying to get Jesus to submit to their hold, which ultimately would have been a hold of destruction because it would have been outside of what, what was intended for Jesus. It would have been outside of what Jesus came to do. And so they keep trying to go back and forth. They're trying to contain Jesus. They're trying to domesticate Jesus. They're trying to hold him in. They're trying to bring Jesus into their agenda. And we see this happen in John 10, right here, very clearly. It says, at that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jewish leaders then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Some translations say, how long will you keep annoying us? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name. These testify of me. I told you. like, will tell us plainly. We're the ones with the authority here. We're the ones with the power. We want you to submit to our hold and our agenda, Jesus. We want you to be who we think you should be. Tell us plainly. Jesus is saying, I already told you. But this is what destruction will do. When destruction starts creeping up within our lives and starts telling us another story, a story that's outside of the story that God intends for you to live in destruction will come along and attempt to use control and manipulation to get you to do or say something or become someone that you know you don't want to become. And it may not be the Pharisees, at least I hope it's not. It's 2000 years later. So if you're running into some Pharisees, I don't, I don't know what's going like actual Pharisees, but, but the hold of destruction will creep into our lives in very different ways. For some of you, the hold of destruction could be something like you're, you're on the job. And your superior asks you to do something that you know would compromise your integrity. That's a really hard thing to wrestle with because you're thinking, I, I need to have this job. I need the paycheck. We talked about this last year in our series, The Journey. Like, what do you do when that which is controlling you is also protecting you? That's what Jacob was dealing with with Laban. Laban was controlling Jacob. He was manipulating Jacob, but he was also kind of protecting Jacob from having to face his past with his brother Esau. What do you do when that, when that comes your way? When you're, you're on the job and this job, it protects you in the sense that it provides a paycheck for you. So you can provide for those in your life or provide for yourself. But you know this, this decision, this would cause you to compromise and, and what do you do in that moment? And, 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 and it becomes difficult and complicated and you start wondering, if I make this kind of decision, is that the kind of person that I'm going to become? Do I wanna become that kind of person? And destruction will weave its way in there with ideas and concepts and do this and do that. Some of you, destruction has come into your life by the way of somebody who's tried to use their power and authority in an abusive way to manipulate you and get you to do stuff like do this or else, do this or else, do this or else. And for those of you who've been in those scenarios, it's hard to see that there could possibly be a way out because people are, are wielding authority in a way that makes you think there is no way out. This has a hold on me. I don't know what else to do. And destruction will keep moving with power and control and manipulation to make you think there's not a way out. Some of you, it may not even be something that's happened to you, but this concept of destruction is through decisions that you've been making. As John talks about in 1 John, that we are tempted with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I remember that so easily because one time I was in this preaching class and we had to give these 10 minute messages and this one guy got up and he said, I'm going to teach you all today about the LLP. I was like, what's the LLP? He goes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And he goes, I'm not even going to read the scripture because you know what? I told you. I was like, okay, man. And we were supposed to preach for 10 minutes. He preached for four minutes and he just, he just brought the house down with his LLP, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But we can get drawn in with that. And that's not even always something that happens to us. That's by our own decisions. And we say, I keep doing this. I don't want to keep doing this. I don't know why I keep doing this, but I can't seem to find a way out. And this hold of destruction keeps you in this same cycle over and over and over again. And a lot of the times what I've found is that the hold of destruction is rooted in a distorted view of who God is. I've lived up here for about 10 years now in the Western New York. June will be 10 years. Moved here as soon as I graduated high school, packed up my Crown Victoria, moved up to Western New York. I don't have that car anymore, but I loved it. Uh, Moved up here. And then my little brother moved up here about five years ago, and he's a youth pastor on Grand Island. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking to each other about inviting people to church, like what that's like and what our experience is like inviting, because Easter was coming, wanted to invite people to church. And one of the things that we've both noticed that we frequently hear from people here in Western New York that we never never really heard this in Virginia. So I don't know if this is unique to this area or maybe we were just the weird ones living in Virginia. I don't know. But here's something that we frequently hear when we invite people to church. It's something like this. Hey, I would love to invite you to church. I say, oh, you know, if I were to walk into church, that place would burn down. (laughs) Like this is something I frequently hear in this area. It's like a normal response for people. And in one sense, I think it's in jest or it's a, a polite way of saying, no, I'm not coming. And it's your polite way of saying, okay, I get it. But what's really sad is if there's a hint of truth in that, that's a distorted view of God that some people have, that if I were to try to get anywhere close to God, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. That if I were to get close to him, you know, we, we've, we've given people sometimes religious constructs that are rooted in forms of fundamentalism that convince people that God is like big brother in 1984, that he's just looking over your shoulder, waiting for you to make a mistake, that he's just waiting for you to do something stupid. And so it's, you know what? You know what? If that's the view of God that people have, if he's really that petty, if he's really that, you know, I just don't want to do, then then a lot of people are just thinking, hey, you know what? If God doesn't really want to associate with me, then I don't have to associate with him. I'm going to sleep in on my Sunday morning and go have some brunch because that's the view that a lot of people have. And that view is not rooted in a transformational relationship that God extends to us in his love and his grace, it's rooted in human constructs that have distorted who God is. And so if you're here today and that's the view of God that you've had, I just want to let you know that that is, that is not true. That is, that is horrible. And I'm so sorry that somebody gave you that view. And my prayer for you is that you would see God in his love and his grace and his mercy, extending to you all of those things and inviting you into the life that he has for you that we see who God truly is in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and that great sacrificial act. And so if there's this view, but this distorted view of God, what it does is it keeps people away from God and convinces them that, hey, you know what the life God has for you? There's no way it could be abundant or full or new or anything like that. And so it keeps people in a loop of destruction. I'm going to stay away from God because God wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. It's one of the things Chris Rock kept saying in his latest special, he goes, "I'm trying to find God before God finds me." Once again, I know it's a joke, but it's—is—is is this the view that we really have? That God is trying to find? Like, that's—that's that's not who He is. He desires to find you because He loves you and wants to restore us and bring us into the life that only He has for us. But we get caught in this destructive. Oh, this is—I don't know—and destruction is relentless. It will keep pursuing. It will not just stop at control or manipulation. Destruction will keep pursuing. Jesus' responds to the religious leaders, we're gonna look at that response in just a moment, but after his response, they get really upset with him and they decide that they are going to stone him. Look at this, John chapter 10, verse 31. The Jewish leaders picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the father. For which of them are you stoning me? We're gonna stone him. This is what destruction will do. Destruction will not stop. And if destruction cannot get us through control or manipulation, then it will use power and force. And this is going to sound childish, but bullying. This is what, the, this is, we are going to stone you. You do what, we, you, you be who we think you should be or else. You submit to our agenda or else. And this is what destruction will do. Thankfully, Jesus did not submit and he kept living the life that God called him to live. But I wonder how many of us have felt entrapped by this before. There's no way out. I've been threatened. I've been bullied. I've been pushed down. I don't know what else to do. And we get stuck in this cycle. We get stuck in the hold of destruction. That's why Peter went on to write this in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He said, be of sober mind, the sober spirit. This means to have a clear mind, be on the alert, be on the lookout, because the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for people to devour. Now, got to be clear about something. I'm not one of these people who thinks the devil is everywhere all the time. He's not omnipresent. So for example, if the lights were to go out during our service, I wouldn't say, oh, it's the devil. I'd probably say, oh, you know, we just had an electrical problem. That's probably what happened. I don't think he's everywhere all the time. I remember I was growing up. I was at this uh, Christian gathering with a group of kids and this kid came and stole a hat off of my head. And I said, hey, give me my hat back. And he didn't give it back to me for a while. Then he came back to me later and he gave me my hat. And in all sincerity, he looked at me and said, hey man, I'm really sorry. I guess the devil just overtook me. I'm I'm sorry. No, that's not what happened. You just you just did something you shouldn't do. You took my hat. And by the way, if we really have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, the devil's not overtaking us anytime soon, okay, folks? But I don't think the devil is everywhere all the time, but here's what I do know based off of what Peter said and what we see throughout the scriptures is God is the Tells the best story, the story of life and resurrection and hope. And the devil will try to parody that by telling other stories. And he's an expert at strategy. And so he's got all kinds of distractions and ways and movements and things that are happening all throughout the world that are connected to the story of destruction. And it's going to be easy to say, oh, I'm going to go into that or I'm going to be a part of that or I'm going to, I'm in this now. But if we have a sober mind, if we are on the alert, there's a story of life that we've been called to live in. And we say, you know what? I'm not going over to that one because I'm going to stay in this one that Christ for me. Be on the alert because here's the good news. Death never has to hold you because death did not hold him because every th- he, he is the only thing holding on to you. He is the only thing holding on to you. Why don't you just get a little bit lively this morning? Look at your neighbor and say, death is never going to hold you. Just say it. And if you have to holler it, just holler it. There you go. If you're online type, death is never going to hold you. And subscribe, by the way. Thank you. But anyways, the- <laughs> death is never going to hold you. It doesn't have to hold you. (laughs) There's the hold of destruction. Destruction does not have to hold you. But then there's also the hold of life. And this is the hold that is made possible for us in Christ Jesus. That he is the one who's holding on to us. That it is his life and resurrection and hope that is clinging to us and will not let go. Before the religious leaders threatened to stone Jesus, he made some statement that really bothered them. This is the statement, John chapter 10, verses 26 through 30. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. By the way, we're starting a brand new series next week called Connecting, and it's about how to connect with God. How do we become people who can recognize and hear the voice of the shepherd? I'm really looking forward to that. But anyways, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. Look at this. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. He's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Jesus is talking about two different holds here. One he completely addresses, the other one he's more so implying. The one he's implying is this, is that the son lives within the hold of the father. It's this concept of the Trinity, the father, son, and spirit hold together one another. They are together in relationship. And he's saying, I'm held in the father, we are one. And because Christ is in the hold of the father, when we are in Christ, we are in the hold of the father. And Jesus says this twice, they will not be, you will not be, Christ's sheep will not be snatched out of his hand there is nothing that can snatch you out of his hand. What can snatch you out of his hand? Nothing. There is nothing that can snatch you out of his hand because Jesus is in the hold of the father and we are in the hold of Jesus. That means we are in the hold of the father and the father, he is greater than all. So there is nothing that can snatch you out of the hand of God. He is the creator of all things. He is the author of life. He is over all things and there is nothing that could possibly snatch you out of his hand. Nothing nothing. There's well, what about this? Nope. Oh, what about, no? No. There's nothing that can snatch you out of his hand at all. We are in the hold of the father who has authority over all things. And we are in his grasp. We are in his grip. And nobody can come along and say, you know what, I'm gonna pull that apart because nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Now, over the course of my life, I've struggled with self-esteem in certain areas, as I'm sure a number of you have as well. When I was in middle school, I didn't have the greatest self-esteem. I was kind of a goofy looking kid. And while most people, their goal in life is to look like their favorite athlete or something like that, my goal in life was to look like Chris Farley. That was my goal. That's who I wanted to be. There, you can see photos of me trying to look like the uh, motivational speaker from Saturday Night Live. Like this was this, These were my aspirations in life. This is who I was going to be one day. There's a photo that they have in one of my middle school yearbooks where I'm stuffing a sandwich in my mouth. And I have like my face and my eyes are all big. And that, that's just who I was. When I was in seventh grade, I got a MySpace I wasn't supposed to get one. My parents are just finding out about this, by the way, if they're watching online. I wasn't supposed to have MySpace. Remember when MySpace came along, all the parents were like, people are gonna murder you on there. No, that's not what's gonna happen. Tom is protecting all of us. But anyways, I I, I had MySpace and I wasn't supposed to have MySpace. MySpace is gone now. It was it was like Facebook before Fa- I could have AIM, but I couldn't have MySpace. Anybody was in that party, you could have AIM, but you couldn't have MySpace. Couldn't have MySpace. People are gonna find your information and they're gonna search you out. Okay, anybody can find my information. But anyways, nobody cared about Scott Lackey in Winchester, Virginia. But I had a MySpace and my MySpace photo was me shoving a piece of pizza in my mouth. And it 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 looked like a goofball. And my name on MySpace was this. This was my name. I'm a bleeping party animal. That was my name on MySpace. Except it didn't include the bleeping part. It included another word that I don't want to say right now. But but that was my name. And I was in seventh grade. I had never been to a party in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but this is, this is who I was. This is who I wanted people. I was, I'm a, I, but, you know, I was struggling with self-esteem. Like, I got to be somebody different. I got to be somebody else. Somebody, I, I'm not cool. I'm not athletic. So people got to at least think I'm funny, I guess. I, I don't know. But over my life, whether it was middle school or other seasons, I've struggled with self-esteem. And I'm sure some of you have been there before as well. One of the areas of life where I've really struggled with self-esteem, specifically in my late teens and my early 20s, it's weird that I'm saying early 20s now. I'm turning 29 this year. It's just really weird. I used to, you know, I used to feel young, but not anymore. But anyways, when I was late teens, early 20s, I struggled with my spiritual self-esteem. And some of this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with a distorted view of God. And I wonder if some of you have had these thoughts before. I used to think things like this. Oh man. You know, I committed this sin today. I committed this sin today. I committed this. Oh, and I did that one. God probably doesn't want anything to do with me. He's probably going to drop me from His hand. You now I'm probably one of those people He's talking about. That when I go and say, "Hey, I knew you," He's going to say, "No, I never knew you." That's probably me. I used to think that if I if I sin too much, if I participated in this sin, that He would drop me from His hand. I used to think things like. Oh, you know what? If I don't read my Bible every single day, then I'm not taking my faith seriously. And he's probably gonna just drop me from his hand. I used to think things like, oh, you know what? If I talk to my friends who don't know Jesus, if I don't share the gospel with them and also tell them about all of the sin in their life immediately, I'm probably not taking this whole faith thing seriously. And he's probably gonna drop me from his hand. These are real thoughts. If I don't read my Bible every day, if I don't witness to my, if I don't do this all, then... you know how I know that's not of God? Because Philippians 4 says he's the God of peace who surpasses all understanding and that view of God brings no peace at all. I was worked up all the time. Am I in God's hand? Am I not in God's hand? Am I taking my face here? Am I not taking my face here? God, are you upset? I was just all the time, like faith paranoia. That's not of God. There's peace and rest and comfort in him. I used to, think, if I do that, fill in the blank. But if I do this, then I might be out of his hand. I might just fall out. And I wonder if some of you have been there before where your relationship with God felt more like you're walking on a tightrope and you might slip and fall and there's not a net underneath. It's just over as opposed to you're actually within the hand of God himself. And as he's holding you with his love and his mercy, he can't help but to transform you from that place. I wonder if, because if that this is, his, but he's the one who brings a hold and a grip that we cannot be snatched out of. Generally speaking, I've noticed there are two ways in which we start to believe the hold of destruction, but here's the truth of this whole thing that even when you feel like you're in the hold of destruction, you are never truly in it because you cannot be snatched out of his hand. Even when you feel like you're in the hold of destruction, you're never truly in it because you cannot be snatched out of his hand. But there are two things that I've noticed. It's either decisions you've made or something that someone has done to you that makes us think or makes you think that you can be snatched out of his hand. I already addressed this one. There's stuff you've done. And some of you, me included, some of us have done some dumb stuff. And then we did it again. And then we did it again. And then we knew we shouldn't do it, but we still did it again. And we started to think, oh my goodness, am I gonna... Nothing. Nothing can get us out of his hand, out of his grip. So for those of us, if you find yourself in this cycle of, I'm doing this again and again and again and again, here's what I want you to hear today. God's heart for you is the same of the father and the prodigal son, who he is running towards you with arms wide open, ready and waiting to restore you because you can't be snatched out of his hand. But then there are those, and this is one that we as a church is a new story, but I also believe the church as a whole has been growing in an understanding of, is that there are some that because of something that has happened to you or something that someone else did to you, you've began to think, ah, I just, you know, I don't know if I could possibly be in the hand of God. And this typically comes from a distorted view of God. This typically comes from abuse and trauma that people experience within their lives. And it happens in religious settings and faith settings where people use the name of God to enforce their own agenda. And then people begin to, well, if that's who God is, then I must not be in his hand. And there's threats and pain and hurt involved. I've I've personally been really trying to grow in an understanding of how this works in people's lives. And so I've been listening to a lot of the work of uh, Dr. Diane Langberg and she's a Christian psychologist who's been working with victims of abuse and trauma for 50 years now. She's been working with survivors and uh, she was actually in Buffalo last month at Northgate church. And I wasn't able to be there cause I was out of town. So I've been listening to all of the, the uh, talks that she gave there. She has a couple of books and in her opening talk, Dr. Diane Langberg mentioned that in the United States, one in three females experience abuse that's documented. And she said, there's probably more. One in three females in the United States experience sexual abuse trauma. And then she said, based off of her studies that she had looked at, there's not an official number that she can find for men, but it's estimated that 93,000 men in the United States experience experience abuse every single year, 93,000. And these things oftentimes happen in religious settings or in faith settings. And so we as the church have to say, God, will you please search our hearts and show us how we can get better in this area? Because this is not acceptable. We envision a church and we envision a space where people who have been hurt and traumatized can come forward and find healing that is in Christ Jesus. We envision a space where people feel safe, where people can say, we are going to be able to move forward because that distorted view of God that says, oh, God wants nothing to do with you or you are this because this happened to you or or, you're carrying the weight of this because somebody gave you a distorted view of God, that is not acceptable and that is not who God is. And I get it. It's so quick when we hear stories at times to think, well, you know, that might've happened or those people might've did that, but a lot of good happened there too and a lot of great things, but, 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 and then we always throw our butts in, but this and, but this and, but this. I wanna read you this quote from Dr. Diane Langberg that I think is, is, is a powerful quote that will help us see this a little bit more clearly. She said, we forget that anything done in the name of God that does not bear his character through and through is not of him at all. I'm going to read that again because that cannot be stated more clearly. We forget that anything done in the name of God that does not bear His character through and through is not of Him at all. So it's not. Oh, but oh, but, oh, but no. It it doesn't bear. She goes on to say, in our forgetting, we are more loyal to the words of humans than to the commandments of God. In our forgetting. We are more loyal to the words of humans than to the commands of God. God is the one who restores the hurting. God is the one who brings healing. God is the one who doesn't say, yeah, but no." God is the one who steps into it and says, you are loved, you have dignity, you have value, you are my child. And whatever that distorted view was, we as the church have to stand in front of that. We as the church have to stand in between that and say, no, that's not allowed here. That's not welcome here. That's not acceptable here. And we as the church have a role to bring light to darkness and bring healing where hurt has occurred. That's who we are going to be, church. And that's what we're going to move forward. So we're, we're, we're looking into all kinds of stuff with this and bringing future trainings to this area. But I just want to make that abundantly clear this morning. That if you're in a position where somebody has tried to hold something over you based off of an abusive relationship or a power structure or whatever that looks like and say, God wants nothing to do with you. and You've been carrying that weight. I want you to hear this morning that that's a distorted view of God, that God loves you. And we are not going to be more committed to human commands than we are to God himself, who brings hope and healing and love to all people. And he sees value in you. And we see the heart of God further displayed in this that not only does he desire to hold on to every single one of us, whether it's something you've done or something that's happened to you and bring restoration to us, he not only desires to hold us, but he draws close to us. In Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve, you know, they, they ate from the tree and kicked out of the garden and God comes and finds them. Then he explains to them, this is the result of the fall. This is what's going to happen. God does something so Beautiful in this passage after he he has this conversation with them. Look at this in Genesis three, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. In a moment where they were weak, vulnerable, hurting, embarrassed, scared. God doesn't go, how dare you? God clothes them. And in clothing them, he begins to restore dignity and value to them. That's the heart of God. And just as God drew close to Adam and Eve in their weak and vulnerable and scared place and clothed them with garments, Jesus Christ is drawing close to every single one of us and he desires to clothe you in restoration. He desires to clothe you in his justification. He desires to clothe you in his righteousness. He desires to clothe you in his grace. He desires to clothe you in his mercy and clothe you in his love. And from that, transform you from the inside out and see that because you are created in his image, you have dignity, you have purpose, he has a plan. He has a direction for your life. And this is the heart of God, not just to hold you, but also to clothe you and to shape you into who it is that he has called you to be because he is holding on to you. Amen. Come on, church. And this is why Paul would go on to write these very famous words in Romans chapter eight. He said, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord what can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord nothing. There's nothing. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor prince, nor things present. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing at all. Nothing you've done. Nothing that's happened to you. He is with us in all of those moments. He's drawn close to us and he's letting us know these things don't have to master you and he's extending help to us to bring us into the life of love that he's designed every one of us for. Nothing can separate us from the love that is found in Christ Jesus. Nothing At all. You are in his hand and you cannot be snatched out of it. If I was to leave you with a concept today, something to cling to, something to hold on to, write this down. Death did not hold Christ, therefore, it does not have to hold you. Live in the hold of abundant life. We as a church, you as an individual, we as we come together, you don't have to live in the hold of death to live in the hold of destruction. Even when you feel like it, it's never truly holding you because you cannot be snatched from his hand and we are going to move forward. We're going to build one another up. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to push each other in our faith so that we may live in the hold of abundant and full life in Christ Jesus. Death did not hold him, so it does not have to hold you. Destruction did not hold him, so it does not have to hold you. We have been given a promise of abundant and full life in Christ. I don't know where everyone's at today. I don't know what's going on in everyone's life. But as preparing for this message and reading John 10 over and over and over again, before Jesus got into the whole discussion that we started at in verse 22, he has some very powerful words in John 10, verses 17 through 18. And in these words, he reminds us that he is the one who has power over death and life itself. He is the one who has authority over all things. So I'm going to read these verses to you, but I want you to write these down, put them somewhere, maybe on your phone or put it somewhere in your home. So when you find yourself in a low moment... When you find yourself in a time when you feel like darkness is encompassing you and it's all around you and you can't get out, where you feel as if I don't have any options, where you feel as if I don't know what's going to happen, in those moments where you truly need some help, these come back to these two verses because it is in these verses that Christ reminds us that nobody can take this life from him, but he laid it down on his own. And he is the one who is over all things. And the one who is over all things is with you in these moments. And he will see you through. He will carry you through. And it is him that we see that resurrection is always in sight. John 10, 17 through 18, Jesus said this. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. Jesus says, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again.